Okay, welcome everybody to the first episode of the new Welcome to Loud City podcast. I am Ben Mertens. I am a writer at Welcome to Loud City. I'm going to say senior writer. I'm a senior writer at WelcomeToLoudCity.com. I've got with me J.D. Taylor. J.D., what's your title at the site? Co-editor. Co-editor. And Clemente, what's your title, Clemente? Uh, I'm just a contributing writer. Contributing writer. we got to talk to Sarah. We're going to get you a more impressive title before the next episode. <laughs> Well, welcome, guys. Uh, thanks, everyone out there for listening for us. This is our first episode of the show. We decided to start halfway through the season um, because we didn't have good podcasting equipment until now. But we're ready to get rolling. Um, so the Thunder have played three games since the All-Star break. They beat the Mavericks, got the doors blown off by the Knicks on Saturday, and then today had a nice win over the Grizzlies. JD, just what were your kind of takeaways from these first three games since the All-Star break? I think my problem, main takeaway is that Moses Brown's look quite impressive. I think, I think his rebounding, his energy, and he's shown a lot of uh, desire. But I also think he's seemed to show a lot of maturity on the court. Like he's not doing the typical young player thing where he's forcing stuff up. He's taking his time and picking his spots, and that's nice to see. Did you um, did you watch any of him in the G League this year? I mean, no, not really. I, mean, <laughs> I watched like. Two games, mainly because I wanted to see what Poku would look like in the G League. And he looked, he was too good for the G League. So I was kind of hopeful based on that, that he'd be good in the NBA. And, you know, yeah, so far so good. I was giving him the start over Roby, like surprised me, but he, he did pretty well in the role, I thought. What about you, Clemente? What did you take away from these these last couple games? Well, this might be recency bias considering uh, the game from today against the Grizzlies, but Poku's looked really good since returning from the bubble. I mean, it's basically a night and day difference between Poku pre-bubble and Poku post-bubble. He looks just a lot more confident. His handle is a lot tighter. He just he just looks like a more revamped, more polished player ever since he uh, returned from the G League season. Yeah, no, he can actually play basketball, which like you could kind of see in the first half of the season. I think um, that like there was something there, but I think between having uh, never played in the NBA before, and they're not being a training camp or anything like that. He just kind of got thrown to the wolves to start, and he looked like a like a scared little puppy out there a lot of times the first half of the season. I guess that's the wrong analogy because scared is kind of the wrong word because he was still willing to like jack up threes or throw crazy passes, but he just looked out of out of his element, I guess. And I think the G League let him kind of calm down, get his feet under him, and uh, yeah, he actually looks like an NBA player, and he had. He was the leading scorer for a while today until Shea uh, went completely nuts in the fourth quarter to seal the win. Um, Shea Gillis-Alexander, guys, all-star, do you think? you think? Should have been. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he looked really good, and I think the Knicks game kind of showed, um, obviously, like how good he is because when he was out there, they were completely kind of um, lost that offense without him. They managed to keep that game close for the first three quarters against the Knicks because the defense was pretty good, or maybe the Knicks offense was bad. Kind of take your pick. But um, without Shea, you know, A is the leading scorer, but B, he's also kind of really the only like real NBA caliber point guard on the roster at this point because George Hill is hurt and Maladon and Jerome um, can do some point guard things, but not consistently play by play, possession by possession at the NBA level. Um, so definitely when you don't have Shea out there, you don't have your main scoring option and just your main ability to uh, have a point guard to actually get you into your offense, which I think hurt them a lot in that next game, um, which I uh, blissfully only watched the uh, the second half of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, any other big 
takeaways from this this Grizzlies game in particular since that was fresh in our minds. I know you guys both were at the uh, the post game presser. Any any notes from that? Well, the most interesting note was probably from Poker himself, and I think his attitude and he was basically he prepares for every single game the same. He tries to stay quite level headed, and I think he very much I don't want to use the, the term, but he seems to trust the process. He seems <laughs> Trust in the work that he doesn't, you know, believes that he'll eventually pay in good rewards. And I think that we kind of saw that tonight. He had, what, 23 points, 10 rebounds and four assists. That's a very good game from him. And then finally, we can put to bed that label that he's the worst player in the league. Well, the worst player in the league does not do 23 points, 10 rebounds and four assists. And he's at free throws now, too, as of the... Uh... The, it was the first one, the Saturday game or the Thursday game. He finally took three throws in an NBA game, so that label's gone too. I was a, uh, I'm, I'm impressed as just to like just how Shake carries himself in front of the media. He's like very professional. Um, I forgot who asked, but somebody asked him about his thoughts about Hamdi Diallo being traded to the Pistons, and he gave a very professional, delightful answer. And he brings up the point like, yes, me and Hami have been teammates since college, and yeah, we're close friends. But I also understand that. The NBA is a business and getting traded is just part of a part of the position. And he said that he knows his role is just to play basketball and the front office's role is to like figure out who stays and goes with the team. So I was just impressed by SGA's like calm demeanor demeanor and like just how professional he is with the media overall. That is a great transition, Clemente. Thank you, because our next item to discuss is the Hamanu Diallo trade, and Shea has to give a good professional answer about that because he's a player, but we are blog boys, so we cannot fire up whatever <laughs> text we want to about that. So, uh, Clemente, you go first, then. What did you think of the Hamanu Diallo trade? The trade was Hamanu Diallo to Detroit for V Mahaliuk and a 2027 second-round pick, I think, which is actually Houston's second-round pick, but who cares? Yeah, I mean, I really think this trade comes from like both teams realize that they have players who are like who are going to be buried in the depth chart in the future with Hami because OKC is going to prioritize SGA, Teo, and and uh, who am I missing? SGA, Teo, and like whoever else. In the uh, the Woj tweet, yeah. actually mentioned Dort being good <laughs> was part of the reason for the trade. Yeah, that was surprising to see, but those three guys and whoever whoever else he drafted in the next couple of drafts. So I think it was pretty clear that Hami was probably gonna be like near the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to like prioritizing how he develops. And with the Pistons, they're also a rebuilding franchise as well. And Siri plays a position where there's other guys in front of him, like Grant, uh, Seiku, and uh, and some other guys in front of him that uh, are probably higher priorities to the Pistons organization as well. So I'm thinking it's probably just two teams seeing like, hey, you got somebody, we, we got like uh, an overflow of this one position. You got an overflow of this other position. Uh, let's just switch them out. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is Hami's. this is his third year in the league, and he's taken a leap in a lot of ways, right? Like, he actually looks more under control out there. They were kind of using him, uh, even though, you know, Maladon or George Hill or Jerome are nominal point guards. When Hami was out there, he was basically the point guard of the second unit, and he's really good at creating his own shot and got a little better at creating shots for other people. But with the uh, this being his third year in the league, he's due for an extension relatively soon, and I think Presti probably got – either A, thinks he's not good enough to deserve the extension or at least not deserve whatever, you know, dollar figure he could get out in restricted free agency, or just like we, but you were just kind of saying he has other guys who can handle the ball and he might be playing the draft or trade for other guys who can develop the ball and he just doesn't see um, Hami playing a role on the Thunder in three years. Because that's, I guess, um, 
right, if you're Sam Presti in the front office, that's what you're concerned about, right? Like if you're Shea Gilders Alexander and the coaching staff and the players, you're trying to win, you know, games today. But Presti says, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. Probably not going to make the playoffs next year unless we're really ahead of schedule. So he's thinking who's going to be on the team in two years, three years. And I think he probably reached the conclusion that Hamadou Diallo isn't, either wouldn't be on the team in two to three years, or if he's on the team is probably going to be, you know, just riding the bench uh, two to three years from now because of his particular skill set is, is kind of duplicative of Shea, who's already really good and what he hopes Maladon can kind of be. And to the Dort thing, Dort does handle the ball sometimes. Like they sometimes have used Dort as the backup point guard, especially in the games that Shea doesn't play, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. So I, I kind of get where they're coming from with that, but um, yeah, I, I see the logic of it. It kind of, in the moment and for the rest of the season sucks. Cause um, I like how do all he's actually really fun to watch. And like, in again, like my, one of my favorite basketball players is, is Russell Westbrook. So obviously like guys who occasionally uh, have too much self-belief and turn the ball over isn't uh, isn't a problem for me. So I really liked watching how Diallo. I get from uh, the Sam Presti, Oklahoma city perspective that he might not be there uh, part of their plans going forward. And that this trade is probably the right, uh, you know, basketball front office move to make but i really like tommy dudial i'm gonna miss watching him in oklahoma city i'll have to watch more pistons games now what about you jd i think i thought the trade was good in terms of just with diallo having to you know sign him or recent there's opportunity cost attached to it so you have to that's cap space that you end up using up but that sits on your books if you wanted to acquire you know additional salary or bad contracts and the like to try and get another asset or who wanted to bring players in, then you lose a bit of that flexibility. I think the trade itself was maybe a little bit weak. I think 2027, second round from Houston, that's going to, what, be in the 40s? I don't really think it's that great of a return, personally. I think maybe, judging by what Diallo's done this year, Presti could have pushed for more. But then perhaps that's just a way of keeping Troy Weaver sweet so then you've got, you know, quite a favourable position or relationship with the rest of the GMs in the league. It's hard to say whether that's, you know, intended or whether that was just playing a little bit of politics. Yeah, I mean, we'll see on the 2027 pick. It's Houston's, and um, I don't really know what their plan is right now. Like, they, they're terrible now, and we own all of their picks. <laughs> uh, I mean, they got some. They, they in turn, own all of the Nets picks because of the Harden thing, but uh, who knows where Houston will be in 2027. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think the as far as the asset play, the second – the biggest thing, to your point, is the opportunity cost and not having to pay – all and keep the cap space free i think then within the trade itself i think the second round pick to press might even be a bigger deal than that than Svi. i don't know what Sevilla is beyond just well we're getting a player who's in theory a young player back in this trade and maybe maybe there's something pressy likes or maybe it's just a thing where hey there's this young player who didn't really develop on another team we have a young coach who's good at player development we have a good g league team we have good player development coaches maybe we think we can get more of him but i think Svi is kind of a a lottery ticket and not like a particularly good uh, lottery ticket for the Thunder. Like it's a very low odds play and you know, it's, it's found money if he does turn into something good, right. Cause they weren't going to pay Diallo anyway. So they got something for him. And if Svi doesn't work out, they still got the second round pick. Um, do you guys have any, any real thoughts on Svi? We haven't seen him play for OKC yet, obviously. He's supposed to be a shooter. I think last year he shot 40% from three with Detroit. This year he's down at 33%. But then if you look at the sort of, point guards and the playmakers that they have to set him up. You can kind of understand why he's declined. If he's not getting good quality looks, if he's just purely a catch-and-shoot guy, he's not going to, you know, drain up an efficient rate. So perhaps there's something in there. I personally just see the move as that Presti's seen a player who he may have a bit of 
who's who, who he's willing to take a punt on. And then if he can re-sign him in the summer, it'll be at a cheaper price than what Diallo would have been. Right. I kind of see it as one of those moves. It's just to sort of take a flyer, I would say. This is a bit of to- off topic, but uh, so you guys know how to fund their label as a team who only drafted like super athletic, raw, non-shooting players. Who only drafted Hamadou Diallos, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just looking at the Pistons roster, it feels like they got 10 guys that fit that uh, profile, like Dennis Smith, uh, Seku. Dear, yeah, Seku, Jeremy Grant. How much of an influence? Do you think that, that was mostly Troy Weaver's influence, or do you think uh, Sam um, wasn't to those type of guys as well? Yeah, uh, Presti has – who's Presti drafted since Troy Weaver wasn't there anymore? Um, Poku and Maladon this year, which neither of those guys really fit that bill because they can both shoot. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see exactly – I'm really curious – going forward with draft stuff um right because we're gonna have a pretty good pick this year not as good as i think people thought the start of season because the thunder you know keep winning games like they did today but they're still gonna have a top 10 pick but they're also they have all these they're gonna have some picks in the 20s coming in from other teams and they're starting to collect second rounders too like that houston pick so like the the kind of thing for presty for chasing these and when troy weaver's there the front office in general chasing these athletic guys started to come in um when they were mostly drafting at the end of the first round or in the second round right that's when they took Hamadou Diallo. That's when they took um, Terrence Ferguson was near the back of the, uh, the first round. Um, guys who didn't work out like Josh Huestis kind of fit that bill. Um, so we'll have to see if Presti, because obviously in the top 10, I think he's going to go best player available, right? Who he thinks is the best player available, which might not match what the scouts think, right? Like Westbrook wasn't seen as the consensus number four pick or anything when they picked him, but it worked out. But towards the back, I wonder if Presti, to your point, will keep going for those kind of athletic uh rangy guys who can't shoot like Hamadou Dial, or if he starts to kind of chase a different mold of player back there, or if it was all just a coincidence and every time Sam Presti takes who he thinks is the best player available. And just for like six drafts where he was picking the best player available was these long rangy guys who can't shoot. I guess we'll kind of have a test uh, these next couple of years to see that, but this most recent draft Poku and Maladon don't really fit that bill at all. So that's definitely some, some level of change there. Yeah, also I think it has to do with the fact that uh, Percy had to try to build it around Russ, and like, like Russ is like one of the fastest guys, so he probably tried getting guys who like who, who could uh, keep up with Russ whenever uh, he was with the franchise. Yeah, I mean those team, the post Durant Russ teams was Russ and like especially the the Westbrook MVP or the theory of that team beyond Russ getting triple doubles was we're going to put together like a really good defense and Russ is going to generate enough offense by creating his own shot or creating really easy shots for others that we don't really need to have a secondary shot creator. Like they had Oladipo, but he hadn't really become the guy he would become in, uh, in Indiana and the backup point guards that you were like Samaj Kirsten and guys like that. So uh, I think that they kind of fell into that partly by, accident because Kevin Durant left and then once they acquired Paul George they at least had that secondary creator and a guy who could really shoot but I mean that Westbrook MVP year there was nobody in the starting five who was a good three-point shooter Russ was the best three-point shooter in the starting lineup that year I think because he actually shot the ball well from three that year and so as they're starting to build a team around someone else Shea Gilders Alexander was a different skill set um, you might be right they might end up chasing different players because they're building around a different a different type of guy now I think from what we've seen from Presti in the past is that he's quite fluid with his team's vision. I mean, certainly in the Durant-Westbrook era, his old idea was just to get complementary players who could, you know, do a little bit of creation. But he mostly went after specialists. In the Westbrook era, he realised that there's a huge market inefficiency, that defence was massively undervalued. 
So his old idea was just to build a forest of limbs on defense that could suffocate any offense. And then in the postseason, hopefully that would play into their uh, favor, especially if you play a team like Golden State. Didn't work out like that. But now it seems a lot different. Now the whole idea is to get as many ball handlers as you possibly can on the floor so that when you're running a motion offense, a ball is just flying around and the ball is doing all the work instead of uh, Shea having to attack a defense that's sagging off him and, you know, crowding the paint now. Yeah, with that, I mean, we'll have to see too, like if Shea ends up, you know, the next really, really good Thunder team that's in contend for a title mode, is Shea like, the best player on that team, or is he like the second best player on that team, or is it a Westbrook Durant situation? I mean, Durant was the best player on the team, but it wasn't Russell Westbrook still took more shots than Kevin Durant, right? When Kevin Durant was on the team, and they were like towards the end, especially they were pretty much on the same level. Um, certainly taking the same number of shots. So it'll be interesting, like who we draft this year, who we draft next year, who Presti targets and trades if he thinks no problem, Shea Gillis Alexander is the number one option on title team, or if he sees him more as a second guy or a co-number one guy, like in both the Westbrook Durant and Westbrook Paul George too, is another thing where like both those guys were like kind of co-number one options. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see. And it partly depends who's available in the draft because as we mentioned, the Thunder keep winning games. So they're probably not going to get Kate Cunningham <laughs> unless we get some luck in the, uh, in the lottery. All right. So then we cover these last three games here. So we're halfway ish through the season, a little more than that because these three games have happened. So what I want to do now is just each of us say what we're really interested in looking for, looking at over the rest of the season. What do we want to see? What do we hope to see? What's something that we just think is interesting and are going to be watching out for over the rest of the season? Uh, Clemente, you can go first. You've only got uh, 12 minutes left before you get on this, so you go first. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to see the trade deadline and just to see like what Sam Presti does because he has like a ton of veterans who could he, who, who he could uh, potentially move and like Al Horford, George Hill, Mike Muscala, Darius Miller, and then th- there's guys who like, who were like in the fence as to uh, they could potentially be traded like somebody like Kenrich Williams who could probably get a good return considering how well he's played this season. So I'm really interested to see like what Sam does before the March 25th deadline, especially since it seems like that they're, that they're uh, not actively tanking, but like it's becoming more and more clear that they're trying to like lose more games in the second half of the season, especially when they're sitting guys like Mike Muscala uh, games. So I'll be, it was, it's going to be interesting to see how Sam Presti approaches these next uh, 10 days. We're kind of in a weird place where you bench Mike Muscala because you're worried that he might win you games by accident. But after the uh, the bubble thing last year where we hit that game winning three that actually cost OKC <laughs> a first round pick, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. So who, how many guys? How many guys do you more trades or how many more current Oklahoma City players do you think are going to be traded before the deadline? So obviously Diallo's already been traded, so that's one. And I think George Hill is almost a lock to get traded. So that's I think it's going to be at least two. But who else, do you think more people are going to get moved than that? Uh, Muscala, I think, I think it's pretty safe to say that Muscala is going to get moved. He's having like one of his better seasons throughout his career. He's averaging nearly 10 points a game off the bench. He can provide spacing and that's very valuable in today's game. Uh, more and more people are saying, my, uh, not Mike Muscala, Al Horford, but like, I don't know. I still think his salary is just way too big to move during yeah. the season. So I'm thinking he's more, more likely a candidate to be moved during the off season. But like it's, it's getting more momentum as to like, more and more like national media people are saying like watch out for Horford you could uh, he could really help a team out 
Yeah, the only the thing with Muscala getting traded is I feel like the one thing that could hold that up is uh, the last time Mike Muscala got traded, it was widely viewed as one of the stupidest trades ever made when the <laughs> Lakers gave up Zubak and a second-round pick to get Mike Muscala, and he was useless in a Lakers uniform. Um, <laughs> so maybe GMs are just like, I can't trade for that guy. I can't get burned like that. But he, he's played really well this year. He can shoot, and he makes the minimum. Um, so I, I, I think – him and Hill, guys who are in relatively cheap contracts, can shoot, and in Hill's case, can defend and handle the ball. But chop, uh, contenders are going to be chomping at the bit for that. For Horford, it's weird, right? Because like none of the like very best teams either need Al Horford or have the cap space that were matching salary to make a trade happen for Al Horford. So you're looking at a team that's like lower down. Like I heard the Hornets mentioned as that because they could kind of use a guy with Al Horford's skill set. But just like if you're the Hornets, like how much are you really going to give up to get? Al Horford, like if the Thunder just dumped Al Horford on the Hornets, I guess the Hornets would probably be interested in that, but the Thunder probably wants some asset back. And if you're in the Hornets, like we're kind of winning, not winning many games, but winning more games than the Hornets, Hornets usually do with our current roster. We probably don't need to give up a lot to get Al Horford. So we'll have to see with him. But I also, Hamadou Diallo wasn't the, I didn't think he was going to be the first Thunder player to get traded. So there could be another wild card-ish trade coming. We'll have to see. JD, what about you? Any any thoughts on trades? And if not, what are you uh, what are you looking for over the the rest of the season? I think just on the trades point, there's in terms of Horford, there's only really one suitor, I would say, and that's Boston. They've got <laughs> TE. If they can ship a bit of salary out, they only need to send out five million to avoid hitting the salary cap. Say they send out Tristan Thompson at nine mil, you can get they can bring Horford in straight into the TE, and say that you can probably maybe arrange to send back an asset in that sort of transaction. That's the only one I can really see right now. I kind of think the, Horn- the Hornets one or some of these lower down teams, it doesn't really quite make sense. They're too I- bad. Like the Celtics like came into the year thinking they were going to contend for the championship and might still the Hornets never thought that, right? But then the other one I was looking at was that, it might sound a bit crazy, but Pokushevsky, mm. his three-pointer actually like mechanically looks pretty sound. And when he's shooting it in motion, it looks pretty good. I'm interested to see whether he can get to league average because I, I think his shot is smooth, it's clean, it's repeatable. The mechanics are good. It's just that he needs repetition. And I think he can get those reps. He can get that percentage up to a point where he can actually, where he's actually a threat from deep and defenses pay attention to him. If that happens, then he's, he's already taken that first step in his growth in terms of actually being valuable player on offense. And I'd be interested to see whether how that progresses. Yeah, I mean, today gave me a lot of hope. That's the Pokushevsky you're hoping to see, right? 23 points, got a fair number of rebounds to and uh, four assists. And those were actually like, I think only one of those was like, a, you know, catch the ball and just kick it to the next guy who was Muscala in the corner. But the other three are actually like him handling the ball, either driving the lane or running pick and roll or something like that, and actually making like a real a real pass that creates a great opportunity. You know, sometimes he still does the thing where he like chucks the ball. <laughs> like he had one uh, attempt at a hit-ahead pass today where he – hit it ahead so far that it went out of bounds on the other side and like crashed into where the people would be sitting if there were any fans in the building. Um, but he's, he can score the ball in, in multiple ways, right? The three point shot, two points coming around. He gets blocked at the rim more than I like, but he, when he does uh, make his layups and stuff, he is shows kind of like crafty finishes around there and he'll take that mid range pull up sometimes. And that looks again, it, it looks janky like his three pointer, but it, it seems to go in at a decent clip. I think the question with, him is besides the shot coming consistent if he's ever going to be he just needs to be better on defense and right like he was never going to be good on defense this year because he's really skinny and he's nine he's 18 now 19 years old and he is coming over from having played in a league that's 
not on the same level as the NBA. So it was always going to take him some time. But I think right now, right after Thunder, we're planning to go into the playoffs this year. You couldn't start Pokushevsky because like defenses would kill him in the playoffs. So that's something to watch for the rest of this season. And, you know, just going forward, um, more so going forward, because part of it's going to be just adding muscle and size for and weight for a guy like that because he's so skinny. But if his offensive game, if he has more games like this Grizzlies game, then he has games like he was having at the start of the season. I think that's a really good sign. Then maybe you have a second or depending how you view Lou Dort, maybe a third uh, building block for the next uh, next great Thunder team. Clemente, you got any uh, any thoughts on Poku? Yeah, I mean, he's just great, man. I mean, uh, I just hope that he continues to stay confident because at the beginning of the season, especially in preseason, you saw him be super confident, like trying to do stuff out. But like as the season regressed and he was like in shooting slumps and he was just like playing bad basketball overall, you saw his confidence like slowly deteriorate and uh, fall off. So I'm hoping that eventually when Poku hit, like hits another like bump on the road that he doesn't like uh, – you know, his confidence starts, doesn't get worse again and he's able to overcome it. But uh, yeah, Poku, he's probably, he's, a, probably, he's one of those players where we won't get a definitive answer as to whether or not he's like a legit NBA guy until like probably a second, third season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go uh, last then in my, it's kind of similar to Poku. It's, it's Maladon, the other guy, our other rookie this year. I've liked what I've seen from him at times. The biggest problem with Maladon is, um, he, when he's out there, you might go three, four, five possessions, and then all of a sudden, like Maladon shoots a three or something. You're like, oh, Maladon's on the court because he doesn't do a lot of the kind of traditional point guard things, probably because he shares the court with with SGA a lot, especially recently with George Hill when they've started Maladon. Um, but he doesn't run a ton of pick and roll. He doesn't even bring the ball up a ton. Usually Shea brings the ball up if he's in the game, even when uh, in the Knicks game went on. Maladon was sharing the court with like Ty Jerome would bring the ball up. Lou Dort would bring the ball up. Isaiah Roby brought the ball up a couple of times, which uh, went not particularly great. Um, but I do see good things from Maladon sometimes. I think in, I've seen a couple of nice things from him in transition when he does bring the ball up in the half court sets. He's shooting pretty well from three, like 37%, not on a ton of attempts, but the shot looks pretty good and he looks confident taking it. Like he'll take it, you know, not just wide open. If it's uh, someone's closing out, he's confident in rhythm taking it. And when he does get the chance to make plays in the half court, it's usually just like a secondary action. I think Mark Dagnall's actually done a pretty good job instituting a lot of, of ball movement on the team this year and a lot of side-to-side action. The problem in some sets is if Shea's not on the court, there'll be a ton of side-to-side action, but no one will actually take advantage of the small kind of opportunities that side-to-side action creates to actually drive the lane and then no shot gets created, no case either. Takes a tough three or tries to like whip it really hard into whoever's in the post, which sometimes works, but sometimes it's a turnover. But Maladon sometimes in those kind of side to side action sets will get the ball with a little bit of advantage and then he'll try to drive it in. And he's done decently, I think, in that, like picking out the obvious pass, right? Like the guy cutting back to our the open corner shooter, but still he's a rookie. Not all rookies would even see those kind of obvious passes. So that's that's relatively promising. And my hunch is uh there's going to be more games that Shea Gill just Alexander doesn't play down the stretch because I think the Thunder are, uh, we could, we might call it soft tanking. They would call it, you know, experimenting with the roster or what have you. But I think if there's, you know, Shea feels mild pain anywhere, they're going to say he's sitting this one out. No need to risk him getting hurt. And we might as well help the draft pick a little bit. So then that'll give Maladon. Basically, I want to see more times when Maladon's the kind of sole point guard on the court, more of him actually initiating the offense to see what exactly we have with him. Cause I've, I like him. 
I think it was a good pick in the second round. Um, not every guy you got in the second round who was drafted in the second round last year has done even the small things that Maladon has done so far this year. Um, I'd like to see more because if Maladon's a second round pick, so if he just became right um, a six man type or like a solid backup point guard type, that would be a win. If he ever became good enough to start and his skill set is is complementary enough with SGA that like the best version of Maladon could start alongside him. If Maladon ever becomes good enough to be a starter, is a different question. But I think. SGA is part of the long-term core. Dort's part of the long-term core. Poku's starting to try to play his way into that. I don't know if Maladon is. I think he has the right skill set to be, but I want to see more of if he can run a second unit or even first unit when SGA is out for the game, if he can run those offenses and actually make plays out of that and continue to see how he plays alongside Shea Gilders. Cause I think most of his best moments this season have come when both he and SGA are on the court and he gets those, those catch and shoot threes and those opportunities to be kind of a secondary playmaker. That's where he's flashed the most so far. So that's what I'll be watching uh, pretty closely over the rest of the season. I just like watching point guards. You guys got uh, anything else? I know Clemente, you got to jump off in a minute here, but uh, any, any last thoughts for us? Uh, just hopefully uh, we get more of these type of games where they're staying close in games and it's just a competitive game instead of like having to deal with a bunch of blowouts because I think that was an issue the first half of the season is that it was either blowouts or close wins and there was like no in between. So hopefully mm-hmm. we get more of like a variance where most of the games are like entertaining and close to the end. Yeah. The next game ended up being a blowout, but it was actually close to the first three quarters. And like, I can, if you're trying to, you know, improve your draft pick, which I understand, like I can take that. I can't take the games where the Thunder are down 20 after the first quarter and you already know it's going to, that's, they're going to lose. And you just have to watch the next <laughs> three quarters as the guys morale just slowly gets worse and worse. Cause they know they're going to lose too, but they have to play out the whole game. That's no fun for anybody. So I'm with you. If we got to lose, uh, close losses are the way to go. Yep. JD, any final thoughts for us? I think the about Maladon. I think it, I kind of see him more as a core player, to be honest. I can mm-hmm. kind of see him being a building block. He may not be turned. I can see him being maybe like a George Hill type. Sort of, you know, he can be a starter, he can be a backup. He's rel- relatively versatile. And I've been quite impressed by his maturity and his intelligence on the court already. We often see with rookie point guards that they make a lot of mistakes and they get caught out by the pace and the size of the NBA. He had that at the start of the season, but he seems to have adapted quite well. And he seems to have grown more comfortable as the season's gone on. Whether he can you know, materialise and become like a true point guard is a different thing altogether. But I'm honestly pretty happy with him as things, go, as things are going right now. And I think he probably... Sh- as is in with a shout of being on the all NBA rookie team or, you know, second team, let's say the second team. Yeah. Well, let's hope I would love that. Um, that is going to do it for our, our inaugural episode here. We'll be back hopefully middle of the week this week. Uh, JD Clemente. Thanks for joining me, everyone out there. Thanks for listening.